And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Battle of New Orleans Radio. I'm your host, Nathan Lawrenson, along with Mr. Gary King. Uh, Goyim cannot join us tonight. Neither could uh, Caleb Hitt nor Pede Monsanto. But we have a terrific show lined up for you. Um, it's going to be great, man. This is one of my, you know, favorite guests, um, you know, in the alternative news realm. Um, he, he's a great author, researcher. He has a great website. It's Mr. James Perloff. You can you can find all of his work at jamesperloff.com, formerly formerly of refugeebooks.com. His you know his first book that I read was Truth is a Lonely Warrior: Unmasking the Forces Behind Global Destruction. It is a very very powerful book. Uh, he's written several other books as well, and has also wrote uh, the screenplay for a great documentary, uh, Shadow Rings. You know, from Free Mind Films. So, how you doing tonight, James? Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, it's great to be back on Battle for New Orleans. I see you've uh, had no choice but to change your venue. So, congratulations to you to find it a, a new venue to keep your message of truth going. Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, we're no longer on the terrestrial radio, but that's okay because you know we're reaching just as many people via the internet now. So, so it, it's okay. Sometimes, you know, they, you're throwing a curveball and you, you just have to, you know, roll with the punches, you know? Yeah. Uh, you went to a different team, uh, you're playing for a different team now and, uh, still, still going after the championship. So go yeah, for well, it. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're trying for sure. Um, and look, I just, before we really get into the topic of, you know, and, and I, I want to invite you on tonight because there's some people that I, I've become friends with lately here in New Orleans that, are some pretty they're they're hardcore Christians and look I'm a hardcore Christian you know I I love Jesus Christ um, he is my Lord and Savior you know I pray on a daily basis I talk to uh, uh, God every day and so I've met these people we become friends and I've been kind of put them down the road you know of of you know Zionism and really tried to show them in scriptures where a lot of this stuff. Uh, is talked about and that, you know, and I've tried to explain to them, you know, about how we've really been duped, you know, the, you know, especially the last hundred years, we, you know, with Zionism and, you know, Christian Zionism. So that's really why I wanted to bring you on the show tonight, James, but before we do that, I just want to touch on, uh, you know, just get your, your quick opinion. I know this is kind of on the fly. Just because when I was driving here tonight, you know, I heard, heard, I heard the radio, there's some news coming across the radio. It said, oh, the Dow drops another thousand or so points. Well, this is the second time this week that there was a major drop in one day. Um, you know, uh, just a few days ago, th this happened. And, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was the 1988, I believe it was the 88 uh, Economist magazine, which is a Rothschild publication where they talk about in 2018, there's going to be, you know, a major, major uh, financial reset. And they even talk about a world currency, uh, and that could be many forms. So before we get onto the topic, what, what's your opinion on that, James, if you have one? Well, uh, you reminded me, actually, that I need to look at the uh, latest Economist cover predicting the next year. You know, the, the previous one had uh, a set of tarot cards in it, including one of a nuclear bomb exploding. That had a lot of us concerned that there might be a major nuclear event. Uh, which didn't turn out to be the case unless they dropped uh, some uh, semi-nuclear weapon in the Middle East, perhaps. Um, but uh, I, I need to, to take a look at the new Economist cover. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I'm not a Wall Street investor. Um, 
but I, I've seen the headlines and I know that um, it seemed to be a little bit um, coincidental that right after Trump's State of the Union, where he boasted of a great economy, suddenly he had this collapse um, as if to be a naysayer to it. Uh, and you know that there are forces in place that can make that um, that uh, Wall Street drop as fast as they want. You know, the 29 crash was definitely an orchestrated crash. Lewis, Congressman Lewis McFadden, who had the had the uh, House Banking Committee, talked about that. You know, they, they shorted the market and they raised uh, the Fed rates, which they've done recently, too. That'll pressure money out of the stock market into interest-bearing securities, you know. Um, and they called in loans on people who borrowed money. And then they just got a whole panic going in 29. They did it in the London Stock Exchange at the time of the Napoleonic Wars. And uh, at the time that they were trying to get NAFTA passed, when NAFTA was under consideration by Congress, uh, and Congress was hedging, um, uh, actually, it's the GATT Treaty, which got us to the World Trade Organization. We're going back to 1994. They, they seriously dropped the stock market for four straight days, and then Bob Dole, who was the um, uh, leader of the Republicans in the Senate, <laughs> he went over and stood next to Bill Clinton and vowed that the uh, the uh, GATT Treaty would get bipartisan support. And the very next day, the stock market rebounded. So they will manipulate that market for their own purposes, no question about it. But I would mention, of course, that a thousand point drop today with the Dow at these levels doesn't mean as much as it would have years ago. No, no, absolutely. And I, I totally agree because, you know, the – these same internationalists, they control and manipulate these markets. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, how many economies that George uh, Soros is there, that I call him George Soros, <laughs> uh, has has manipulated, you know, over his days. So it, it's 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 very, you know, manip- they manipulate, you know, the, the, the heck out of it. So you know, that's enough on that, uh, James. But I, I really do appreciate and value, you know, your opinion on this. Um, so... Let's get into – okay, I, I want to – I'll start with this and we'll preface into, you know, the Zionism over the last 100 years and how we've gotten to today. What is your take and what do you think the meaning of President Trump moving officially the embassy from, you know, to Jerusalem? You know, what does that mean, you know, exactly? Well, I, I guess you could say that they're boiling the frog of the greater Israel Luciferian plan for, for Israel. It's been going on for a long time, um, as you mentioned, o- over a century. But um, what a lot of Christians have failed to understand is this. They, they are, they're against communism and they're against globalism, i.e. world government. What they don't understand is that the Rothschilds uh, and the uh, global uh, elite the very same forces behind communism and world government are also the forces behind Zionism because Jerusalem is meant to be the capital of world government. And this is where Trump's move becomes significant. And I just want to back that up a little bit um, with some quotations. And this first one is from Israel Shamir, Jewish writer in his book, Kabbalah of Power, 2008. He said, quote, Palestine is not the ultimate goal of the Jews. The world is. Palestine is just the place for world state headquarters. The Jews intend to turn Jerusalem into the supreme capital of the world. And it's rebuilt temple to the focal point of the spirit on earth. That's one quote. And how about this quote from Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. This is from Look Magazine in 1962. Quote, in Jerusalem, the United Nations, a truly United Nations, will build a shrine of the prophets to serve the Federated Union of All Continents. This will be the seat of the Supreme Court of Mankind 
to settle all controversies among the federated continents. And one more, this is from uh, the Jerusalem Report, uh, 1999, October 25th, Rabbi Menachem Froman wrote uh, in an article called Capital of the World, or that was one of the phrases he used, quote, isn't it only fitting that Jerusalem be the seat of the United Nations cultural bodies, human rights organizations, and scholarly forums? Isn't it only proper that Jerusalem be the place where members of all faiths convene to renounce their breedings of prejudice, hostility, and war? So Jerusalem is... A big part of this whole Luciferian agenda, which, you know, the Bible predicts, um, that we should, we should mention that this is prophecy in the Bible, because, um, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, when he was talking about the end times, this is uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4, he said, uh, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He's talking about the beast of the Antichrist. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or its worship. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Unquote. That's a very good description of the Antichrist. And of course, God's temple would be in Jerusalem. So Trump's move, this controversial move, is part of this overall plan that goes back to millennium. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very... It's very confusing because, you know, you see, I mean, I understand, you know, the, the, the paradigm system, you know, the fake left-right paradigm that we're under. You know, they use all systems of control. And, and I understand as much as, you know, I, I love to applaud some of the things the president has done. But I understand a lot of that really is very minuscule when I really see. But it is a lot better than looking at Hillary Clinton, I must say. I'm <laughs> so, uh, into that, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, but, but, but uh, it, it's just very disheartening when I see the, the control of this, this other nation that they have upon us, you know. And, and I don't care if it was Argentina. If Argentina controlled and manipulated us this much, I would scream to the highest you know, peak of the world about it. And man, it just, Americans really, man, they really, there's like a bias. There's like a un, you know, an unconscionable bias that they have for this, this nation of Israel. And they don't even understand or know why. And, and you bring this up and they'll malfunction, man. And, and it's, it's very disheartening because we must be America first, second, third, you know, not Israel first, not Saudi Arabia second, America third, you know, so it's just very disheartening. But um, so, you know, fast forwarding, I mean, reversing, James, what do you think, how did we get to this point? You know, the last hundred years has been very, um, there's been a lot of things happening historically. You know, uh, you talk a lot about, you know, the false flag events, you know, the last hundred plus years going back to what, 1891 or whatever. So how did we get to this point? to where Americans have been just browbeat, you know, through, you know, the television and through the radio that, you know, Israel is our greatest ally and that, you know, they're Christianity's biggest ally. When I, I disagree, when you really look at, man, Pontius Pilate really didn't want any part, you know, of the crucifixion of our Savior. He really didn't want any part of it, you know. So, but for some reason, you know, these, these Christian Zionists, 
man, they, they see it a different way, James. And, and so what's your take? I, I'm, I'm going to let you talk because I really want to hear your opinion on this thing. Okay. Um, yeah, first of all, um, they are mistaken when they regard Israel um, and Judaism as, uh, as great allies. And I should just uh, put out a disclaimer, first of all, which is, you know, I'm half Jewish myself. The Perloff family was named Perlovsky. We came from Russia, 1904, about the time of one of the pogroms. So this is not about anti-Semitism. We're talking not about we disavow racism. You and I have no interest in uh, no. any of that. We're just talking objectively. But there is, in fact, another type of racism, which comes from certainly not uh, Jews broadly, but from the uh, Shabbat Lubavitch and the supremacist Jews. And if you look in the Talmud, which is... Um, Many Christians think that uh, the Jewish community goes mostly by the Tanakh or the Old Testament. They actually go by the Talmud. The Talmud is the written form of the oral law which Jesus Christ condemned. Because it was uh, mostly not written down then, the oral law became, uh, as, as, as uh, printing presses became available, uh, written down as the Talmud. And it became increasingly blasphemous from the days when Jesus walked the earth. Um, now, the Talmud says that Jesus is in hell boiling in feces, that his mother Mary was a whore, that Jews were utterly inferior. And um, uh, a great book to read on this, by the way, is uh, Judaism's Strange Gods by uh, Michael Hoffman. He just goes through and documents how they look on, on Gentiles as animals. They do not regard it as a Judeo-Christian world, at least among these elitists. I want to give you some quotes as well. Um, this is from... Uh, Rabbi Cook, the elder, first Ashkenazi chief of British Palestine, he said, quote, the difference between a Jewish soul and the soul of non-Jews, all of them and at different levels, is greater and deeper than the difference between a human soul and the souls of cattle, unquote. Next quote is from Israeli Rabbi Yaakov Perrin in 1994, quote, one million Arabs are not worth a Jewish fingernail, unquote. Imagine an American saying that about one race versus another, okay? This next one is from the book Jewish Superiority and the Question of Exile, published in 2003 by Rabbi Sadia Grama. To quote, the Jew by his source in his very essence is entirely good. The Goy by his source in his very essence is completely evil. This is not a matter of religious distinction, but rather two completely different species, unquote. And I'll give you one more. This from... Um, Sephardic leader Rabbi Ovadia Yosef in a 2010 sermon, quote, Goyim were only born to serve us. Without that, they have no place in the world, only to serve the people of Israel. Why are Gentiles needed? They will plow, they will reap. We will sit like a fonda and eat. With Gentiles, it's like any person. They need to die, but God will give them longevity. Why? Imagine one's donkey would die. They'd lose their money. This is his servant. That's why he gets a long life, to work well for this Jew, unquote. That's not me saying that this is them. And when you realize that um, uh, Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, who's always at his side, yes. is a member of Shabbat Lubavitch, and their chief leader was Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, who said the very same types of things. He said, quote, the difference between a Jewish and a non-Jewish person stems from the common expression, let us differentiate. Thus, we do not have a case of a profound change in which a person is merely on a superior level Rather, we have a case of let's differentiate between totally different species. The difference between and the inequality between Jews and non-Jews is so great that the body should be considered as completely different species. 
Um, a Jew is not created as a means for some other purpose. He himself is the purpose since the substance of all divine emanations was created only to serve the Jews. Uh, the entire creation of a non-Jew exists only for the sake of the Jews, unquote. And again, that's from the leader of Shabbat Lubavitch, of which Jared Krishna subscribes to. So you understand, we talk racism. How about this racism? How about this anti-Goy racism, which has been driving uh, so much of uh, geopolitics and driving the Zionist movement? And Christians need to look at that and understand that in, in uh, Russia, the you know, under the czars, there were, I believe, a total of 467 people executed. The uh, Bolshevik Revolution, they murdered millions of Christians. And that was, you know, it's about 85% uh, Jewish, the leadership. And that's been acknowledged by Vladimir Putin. And it's also a historical fact that can be verified. So we're talking about somebody who did not regard us as their allies. And you can look at clips of, from Israeli television. Where they openly mock Jesus and the crucifixion. So uh, this idea that they're our allies, um, well, we could go into false flags that they've run against us. But I think I've said enough, and I better throw it back your way. No, man, those are beautiful points, James. And this morning, you know, when, when my when my my new brother that that that, that you know I I, I formed this relationship with, um, you know, once he started, I started putting some of this information towards him. You know, I steered him some towards you know some of your information as well. It, it's man, he you start you, you become kind of angry at first because man, it's just like. The, the, we've been duped, man. And, and you go through a whole array and a whole litany of, of emotions, man. And it's just, it's crazy. I, I was working with a gentleman yesterday and, you know, I brought up some of these issues and then I brought up the Holocaust and just some, some statistical facts. And he said, I don't want to hear anymore. My grandfather went to Europe and fought. I don't want to, I don't care if it's truth or not truth. I don't want to hear any information that you have detailing anything with the Holocaust uh, because I'm not going against the official story, you know? And I said, well, 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 calm down, man. I said, you know, you're emotionally invested now. Truth doesn't matter at this point. And it's just, this is the same sentiment I hear from everybody. Like subconsciously you bring some of these things up and, and they just malfunction. And I'm just trying to get people past that point because we need to have this conversation. You know, it's these, like you said, we're not racist. We're not, but, but at the same time, these internationalists, they're racist towards, towards Christians. They're racist towards, you know, Gentiles, as you said. And it's just, it's, and I'm, I'm upset about it, man, because look, there's a Shabbat uh, Lubavitch uh, house at Tulane University. It's right next to, man, eight blocks from my house. You know, so I, I, I know exactly, uh, you know, what you're talking about. Jared Kushner, he donated tons of money, tons and tons of money to, you know, his, his rabbi there, you know, when he was still in college. So, you know, it's just, it's very disheartening when you realize that we've been sold a bag of goods on, you know, what these internationalists are. These are the same internationalists Jesus was talking about. You know, they weren't called, he wasn't saying internationalists, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and all this type of stuff, but it's the same doctrine. Like my, my brother, I was telling you about this morning, he told me, he said, man, he said, we read and we were reading excerpts at the Talmud and it said that Jesus, uh, you know, wasn't resurrected, of course, and he was just thrown over the hill, you know, and his body was just dumped. Uh, you know, that's what they believe. I said, man, does, doesn't that make you upset? He said, yeah, it makes me upset. And it's just, uh, 
And it, it, it's a shame, man. I just wish Americans would wake up because this is the glue. This is the real glue, man, in my opinion. You know, and I'm just a layperson here that really holds all of this together. You know, what's your take on that, James, about, about the, but this is the glue that holds this whole new world order system together? Well, there's no question that there is a, you know, a strong degree of tribal loyalty that uh-huh. uh, is, is their own glue, but they've always needed the help of um, uh, Gentile supporters because there aren't <laughs> enough of them to, uh, to bring this plan to fruition. And that's where usually where their Freemasons and their Gentile secret societies yeah. uh, came to being. Uh, the Freemasons don't have a uh, blood loyalty, but they do have a, uh, a blood oath loyalty, a, a swearing to, uh, of loyalty and a swearing to secrecy, which has made them very useful, whether it's on the Supreme Court or in banking uh, or in uh, as army generals or other venues, presidents of the United States like Harry Truman, the 33rd degree, uh, 33rd president of the United States who, who bombed Nagasaki, which was the Christian capital of um, Japan. I'm not referring to the political capital, but as a center of Christianity in Japan. That's why he was selected. And I have an article on my website called it, uh, to review a book by David Dionisi called Atomic Bomb Secrets, which of a plan that also includes world government, that does include communism, um, and uh, a coming police state, um, surveillance state, and of many facets, you know, everything right down to chemtrails and population control are all part of this overall plan, which I discuss in my book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, uh, which is, you know, again, it's an A to Z primer. Zionism uh, is a major portion of this. And uh, if you look at the pyramid, and of course, you've got a pyramid uh, on the back of the dollar bill. It was a uh, 32-degree Freemason, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who ordered that put there. Uh, prior to that, it was not featured on our currency, but that is the Freemasonic pyramid showing their new world order being built with what has uh, been called the Eye of Satan or the Eye of Osiris at the top. And when the when the, the pyramid is complete, that's when we'll have their new world order, their Novus Ordo, Seclorum, uh, in place. So this is part of a big picture. Um, we should probably talk uh, about how Christians have been conditioned to believe in this. This, is, this goes back to, this, uh, to the Schofield Reference Bible, but I'm going to throw it back to you. for, for um, yeah, I'm going to say something, just, and then we'll go, we'll go straight to the Schofield Bible. I just want to say this uh, real quick. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that every time you look, every time you look behind any of this, um, you know, the central banking system, the war machine, Hollywood, uh, I mean, anything you look at, you look at the music industry, you look at who runs a lot of these private prisons, you look at, I mean, here in New Orleans, you know, the main entity behind the monument removal, Walter Isaacson, uh, Aspen Institute, you start looking at, I mean, there's, they removed, uh, you know, uh, the statue of Robert E. Lee here, and there, there was uh, a, a great uh, woman that produced these beads, and it said Forever Lee Circle, where there's a parade running tonight called Muses, and, and they're running tonight, and they've denied any of their people riding in that parade to throw these beads. And the lady that founded this parade... Her last name's Rosenberg, and she's a she is a lawyer from Pittsburgh. She's not from here, and, and I'm just saying that because every time, and there's these outside forces that are coming in here to you know particularly. So anyway, just everywhere I, I just turn, you know what I mean? It, it's it's 
they want to go against any kind of heritage or culture to help bring in their new world order. And that's just an example on a local level, but that's where it happens. It's little pieces on every, on all local levels. And it's just, it's very, just, it's very, very disheartening. You know, Aspen Institute, which is, you know, there, there's a lot of communism and Zionism uh, alike in that organization. Um, they run all the charter schools in America. Every charter school system you see in America is started by the Aspen Institute. I mean, it, they, they just call it something different in New Orleans. It's new schools mm. for New Orleans. So they layer themselves. So just everywhere we turn, you see a lot of the police unions, uh, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, it's just very, very um, – there has to be something to it. And then I'm going to turn it back to you, James. There has to be something to it, you know, that – these international forces of such a small, small, you know, minuscule number of these internationalists have gained so much control over us. And so, so go ahead. That's enough of me ranting, James. Go ahead and, and tell us how we got here with, with the Schofield Bible. And uh, uh, before I segue to the Schofield Bible, you know, you're talking about the glue that holds it together. I think uh, from them, uh, mechanically, the glue that holds it together is the money. Now, uh, uh, Meyer Amschel Rothschild said uh, that if you gave him control of the world's money supply, yes. he wouldn't care who made the laws. And, of course, they use money as the uh, incentive to control people. Uh, you know, people, uh, everybody, in order to live, has to have money to buy a house, to eat, to get energy and clothing. And so they offer those perks, and, of course, you serve them very well. You'll get a lot of money. Um so that they, they, by getting control of the world's money supply through the uh, world's banks, which have their, their central bank, a central bank, there's one in Basel, Switzerland, which speaking of which is also where they hold the world's latest conferences, isn't it? I didn't think about that. But, um, uh, yeah, they, 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 money makes the world go around in a, in a human sense. They know that. And so they've used control of the money supply and usury uh, to get their way. And that is, I think, uh, what I would call the, um, the mechanical glue that uh, keeps the show running for them. Hey, 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 James, before you get this going, can I say something real quick before I lose yeah, this point? I want please. To, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you brought up Nagasaki in Japan. All these countries we go into, you know, like you say in the Middle East, it's definitely part of this greater Israel project, but we always decimate these high, these areas that, you know, uh, are very friendly to Christians. Let Christians live in peace. You look in Syria. You look in, uh, you know, Libya. There was no issues there. Uh, you bring up Nagasaki. You know, it's very funny that we always go and we decimate these nations, you know, that are very friendly to, friendly to Christians. And you look at um, one of the biggest lies our media's, media tells is this, this thing with Hezbollah. If you do a lot of, man, I, I've done some reading on this. Hezbollah is actually protecting a lot of Christian mm -hmm. uh, churches in the Middle East, but yet our right. media that is run by these internationalists tell us Hezbollah is this nasty group when Hezbollah is really the only force that's really truly fighting ISIS overseas, them and Russia, you know. They, 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 but our media tells us, you know, a lie that, that you know, they're, they're these big bad terrorists when they're really protecting, you know, Christians. Anyway, go ahead, Jane. I'm sorry. Oh, I've seen pictures of nuns uh, sheltering Hezbollah guys in, in the Middle East. You know, the Christians in the Middle East, they know it, they know what the story is much better than they do here in America, which does segue us to uh, the Schofield Reference Bible. Um, here's the thing. Uh, the Zionists knew, the Rothschilds knew, 
that in order to take over Palestine, they would need Christian support because uh, they they themselves didn't have the numbers. And um, of course, the uh, we've seen documentation. You've probably seen it that with there are newspaper articles from 1829 showing that the Rothschilds were buying up Palestinian land then. And to take it over as a state um, required some major changes. You know, Palestine was uh, the uh, under the control of the Ottoman Turks for 400 years. And um, if people have seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia, uh, they know that Lawrence led Arab troop, Arab uh, fighters down there to throw off the Turks. And um, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Palestine was not an important military objective during World War One. They had no military value. Uh, the reason they went down there is because they'd signed something called the Balfour Declaration. Uh, and, and the Balfour Declaration was essentially this. The uh, Zionists had made a deal with the British government that uh, if uh, they would establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine, uh, which meant throwing off the Ottoman Turks, then in turn for that, they would bring America into the war. And that, that was the deal that was made, and that's why Lawrence was down there. He, I don't think Lawrence himself fully understood it. Um, he was very ashamed of what his country did afterwards when he realized that the Arabs thought they were winning their freedom, but in fact, they were not winning their freedom. They were, they were, they were uh, fighting and bleeding for the, for the uh, Zionists who were about to move in. Uh, the Balfour Declaration of 1917. Well, in 1917 was the Balfour Declaration which uh, Lord Alf- Alfred uh, Balfour, 33rd degree Freemason, issued to Lord Walter Rothschild. <laughs> so this is a, a before and Masons and the Rothschilds, uh, the Balfour Declaration. But that same year, 1917, was the publication of the main edition of the Schofield Reference Bible, which was the main tool used to reinterpret the Bible for Christians to get them to believe that the Bible insisted there must be a return of the Jews to Israel and to get behind the Zionist movement. And so uh, I have an article on my website, jamesperloff.com, and it's P-E-R-L-O-F-F. And uh, it's called, uh, I have two articles called The War on Christianity. Part one is the modernist movement. Part two is the Christian Zionist movement. And I go into great detail there. And, of course, I'm working on, um, um, I'm getting a signal from you. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, okay. Go Sorry, go ahead. Um, uh, well, in uh, uh, 1897, Theodore Herzl, um, uh, undoubtedly with funding from the, from the, uh, I'm sorry, thank you. You're bringing up my, because you're bringing up my webpage. Thank you. Um, Theodore uh, Herzl uh, started these Zionist Congresses, and uh, th- just the intention was to create, recreate what they called Greater Israel, uh, Israel from the Nile to the Euphrates. That was the goal. And in January of 1904. Herzl had an audience with Pope Pius X and asked his blessing upon this movement, the Zionist takeover of, of Jerusalem. And Pope Pius X told him he could not support that. As soon as the Zionists realized they did not have the support of the Catholic Church, it now became mandatory that they get the support of the Protestants. And so that same year, 1904, uh, Sarah Schofield um, came over to England uh, Sarah Schofield was, uh, had a long history that I go into in this article. He'd been a, a, a shyster, a, a, a crooked politician in Kansas. He um, had been disbarred. He uh, turned up in Missouri. Uh, he abandoned his wife and family. And he had uh, was facing 
jail sentences for forgeries and confidence games. And all of a sudden, those cases were adjudicated without payment. And all of a sudden, uh, this is 1881 we're talking about. All of a sudden, 1882, he's, he's become a, a, a preacher. Um, I'm sorry, it was 1881, he became a preacher. And then in 1882, he moved down to Dallas, became uh, uh, the preacher of the first congregational church. They wanted to get him away from Kansas, where too many people knew about his the fact that he abandoned his family and, and involved in all this, this criminal activity. And then he moved up to, to uh, New England, became a member of the Lotus Club. Now, this is an exclusive club. People like Mark Twain and Margaret Mead belong to it. It's the kind of place where an evangelical preacher would be laughed out of the place. But he got a membership there, even though the dues were equal to one-fifth of his salary as a preacher. And his uh, membership was approved by Samuel Untermeyer, who was probably the leading Zionist in this country at that time. So it was with, Zion, with Zionist blessing that he went to, uh, to uh, England in 1904 after the Pope had rejected the Zionist plan. And in 1904, uh, he became the uh, – there's, there's the article. Thank you. Um, it's a long one, but as I said in the article, when you've got a big onion, you've got to peel a lot of layers off uh, because we're not only dealing with the history, we're dealing with the Bible here. Uh, but uh, uh, that same year, he, went, he was introduced to the head of Oxford University Press who promised to publish the Schofield Reference Bible, which was really absurd because, you know, he was an unknown author. He'd written one book. It was really a pamphlet called uh, Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. And uh, immediately, sight unseen, Oxford University promised that they would publish this reference Bible. Um, that doesn't happen to an unknown author. You know, you don't get a, a big publishing deal from a major publisher. <laughs> and uh, I should also mention that the uh, Oxford University Press did not publish Bibles. This was a new thing for them. But they, the reason Oxford University Press was selected for this project was because they had offices on both sides of the Atlantic, and they could guarantee publishing millions of copies, which is what they did uh, with this, the Schofield Reference Bible. So 1904, he moves from England to Switzerland. Why is he going to Switzerland to research a, a Bible? Wouldn't you go to someplace like Jerusalem? Uh, you know, why, why would you go to Switzerland? Uh, so that's where the that's where uh, Herzl is holding the Zionist conferences. Of course, there's also the center of Freemasonry in, in Basel, uh, Switzerland, and there's a center in Switzerland of uh, the uh, of, of banking, central banking. So that's where he went to research his Bible, and um, that became published in millions of copies. You know, they put it out in leather bound with gold, glittering gold letters to make it look God honoring, and that convinced millions of Christians that the Bible. Uh, had made an what what Schofield called it was an he said it was an unconditional promise to the Jews. It was not unconditional. If you look at the time the Jews first came out of Egypt, the Hebrews came out of Egypt with Moses. They weren't even allowed to enter the Promised Land due to their lack of faith. They had to wander for forty years. So what did we come off saying that uh, the Jews of this century? The Zionists this century were so faithful that God brought them. And it wasn't God, it was the Rothschilds. Look at that. David Ben-Gurion was an atheist. Golda Meir was an atheist. Theodore Herzl was a proclaimed atheist. These were not religious Jews. Well, well, James, not to to cut you off. I've been talking for a while, so you go right ahead. I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but I just want to make this point for the listeners that most uh, current Jews, especially the international realm, they're all atheists. They don't, they're not, I mean, was it 54, 56% of the people in Israel are atheists? You know, they're not even practicing, uh, they don't even practice Judaism. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, that, that is the, uh, uh, the, uh, 
means, the main means by which Christians were convinced. And of course, there's media control. You've got six major corporations controlling mainstream media. So if you're going to church and you're in a Zionized church, I was at one church that was so Zionized that they had us pretend we were a synagogue for a day. We celebrated the Feast of Purim. They, they passed out noisemakers and said, this is to show our solidarity with the Jewish community. You can be sure that the Jewish community, not only were they not there to witness this, they certainly don't show that kind of solidarity with the Christian community. They don't pretend that they're a church. What was the but, reaction from the rest of the uh, the churchgoers? Uh, they were kind of acting out and uh, having a good time, but uh, I just stood there in silence. I was not very schooled in the realities of Christian Zionism at the time, but I knew this was wrong because all you have to do is read the book of Hebrews. It says we are done with Jewish ceremonies. We don't observe them. And uh, I looked across the aisle at another uh, member of the congregation. We just sadly shook our heads. We knew that this was not right. Um, but this is happening in a lot of churches. Tex Mars uh, said there were some young Christians in a church who were interviewed, and they were asked if there was a war that broke out between Israel and America, whose side would they fight on? And uh, all but one raised their hand and said they'd fight on the side of Israel against uh, America. That's how brainwashed uh, they had become. So it's partly the, the, the Christian Zionist churches, and they're not all Christian Zionists. Tex Mars, Matt First. Um, there are some uh, very good uh, theologians here. In the, uh, Chuck Baldwin has wised up to this whole thing. Uh, he's uh, Chuck Baldwin. Yeah. 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 Um, so there, it's not all of them, but it's a lot of them. And uh, people have, through the media and sitting in, in the pews have been brainwashed and think we have to support these, these wars. Uh, well, that, of course, brings us up to all the false flags that have brought us to these wars, which have been Zionist-provoked. And you could go through. Uh, how much time do we have? By the way, I, I need to. I haven't been watching the clock. No, nah, man, we're, we're good. We're good, James. I mean, talk is as much at the forty-minute mark. Though we'll just uh, we'll we'll have to take a we'll have to take a two or three-minute break. Okay, how much time till forty? I'm sorry. Um, well, there's a uh, icon that says recording, and then when you got about five minutes left, it starts to ch- count down and tell you. It starts so telling. We'll you know well, oh, we, we got over five. Okay. All right, I, I lost track of time. Okay. Yeah, no, us too. You're good. Okay, uh, if you look at the history, you know, people think that Israel is America's ally in the, the West Alley. If you look in, uh, at the uh, bombing of the uh, King David Hotel, 1946, uh-huh. the Israeli, uh, the Ergen gang, the terrorist gang, went into that hotel. That was British headquarters, and the British were still running uh, Israel at that time, but they wanted the British to get out. World War II was over. They had no use for the British anymore. They'd uh, gotten them uh, Palestine but they now wanted to make it the Rothschild proxy state. So the King David Hotel was 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 blown up. The Ergen gang went in dressed as Arabs, so the Arabs would take the blame for it. And that's the whole pattern. You go up to 1954, the Levon affair, where uh, the Jewish terrorist gangs went from Israel into Egypt, intending to blow up uh, American and British uh, facilities. Fortunately, that failed. The, the bombs blew up on the terrorists themselves. But even the Israelis have admitted to that. Um, then in 1967, you had the USS Liberty being attacked by the Israeli Air Force, and it was napalmed, it was machine gunned, it was torpedoed. They, they took evasive action. There were several torpedoes fired, but one torpedo hit it. The thing to remember, uh, this is an important point, the Israelis attacked USS Liberty and unmarked planes because they wanted the Arabs to be blamed for this. This is off the Egyptian coast. Uh, the attack failed. The Liberty was intended to be sunk to bring us into the Six-Day War, which was then in progress on Israel's side. That was a false flag that failed. But uh, President Johnson did everything he he did to cover it up. Uh, He gave the Naval Court of Inquiry one week to investigate when uh, the people who were running it, Admiral Kidd, 
and the uh, chief uh, legal advisor of Ward Boston said it would take at least a year to investigate this thing. Did McNamara eventually admit uh, to this, like on his deathbed? I don't know if he admitted on his deathbed, but he certainly has, uh, his actions have been acknowledged by the, the uh, members of the USS Liberty. Um, they have a website, GTR5. Dot com. GTR5 was the markings on the side of the, of the Liberty. The Israelis knew it was an American ship, and that's been proven by U.S. intelligence and na- analysts who were getting the, uh, the, uh, the encoded messages from NASA that day. I'm sorry, not from NASA, from the NSA, um, showing uh, the air-to-ground communications. The Israelis were identified as an, as an American ship. It had a huge American flag on it. They shot down that flag, and they raised another American flag. They shot that one down. But they were trying to sink the sh- that ship. Um, Captain McGonagall, William McGonagall, um, got his Congressional Medal of Honor in a Navy shipyard. He was the only man not to be courted White House recognition uh, for winning the Congressional Medal of Honor for defending his, his position that day. And that's because uh, President Lyndon Baines Johnson did not want to offend Israel. I want to point out a contrast here. In 1964, we had a non-attack on a U.S. destroyer, the Maddox. And because of that non-attack, President Johnson started an 11-year war they killed 58,000 American GIs in Vietnam. In 1967, we had a real attack on an American ship. They killed 34 Americans, wounded over 170, and the president did absolutely nothing. So you, you wonder who runs America. Yes, these, uh, there are many examples that tell you. In 1986, we bombed Libya. That was under Reagan. There was, yep. an, interesting, there was an interesting transition that happened. In 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev came to power. That marked the end of the Cold War. We should have taken our swords and beat them into plowshares. That should have been, we should have taken our defense budget and turned it to uh, internal needs. Instead, 1986, the war on terror began uh, when the Le bomb, uh, when, when, I'm sorry, the LaBelle disc attack was bombed in Germany. Reagan received uh, intelligence messages that said intercepts could come out of Libya, and this was a Libyan, a Libyan attack on America. So we bombed Libya. That was the start of the war on terror, 1986. Well, we now know from um, Viktor Ostrovsky, former Mossad agent, in his book *The Other The Other Side of Deception*, that uh, those messages from Libya were were from coming from a, a receiver planted by the Mossad. Those it was the Mossad operation, not a Libyan operation. And then in 1991, of course, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed officially, we uh, we also had our first ground war after the baby incubator stories. You know, even even Wikipedia admits the baby incubator stories were a complete fraud. But then the big one, of course, was 9-11. And uh, I would really encourage people who don't know about the Israeli connection to 9-11 to go to uh, Wikispook's website. Wikispook's article is called Wikispook's Israel, 9-11 Israel Did It. Some of the connections of, um, of Israel to 9-11, you've got the dancing Israelis, the guys who were there photographing the event. They were sent home after just two months. There were uh, two, at least two were members of the Mossad. The man put in charge of the 9-11 investigation was Michael Chertoff, whose mother was in Mossad. So big surprise that he sends the Mossad agents back to, to, to Israel. Airport security uh, on 9-11 was owned by uh, two Israeli Jews, Ezra Harel and Menachem Atsam. World Trade Center security was in the hands of two of uh, the Kroll brothers, Kroll Associates, uh, Jules and Jeremy, they were major Zionists. Larry Silverstein had bought the World Trade Center less than two months before the event. Silverstein not only got a five billion, almost $5 billion payout in insurance on a $124 million uh, investment, 
but he was such good friends with Netanyahu that Netanyahu called him every Sunday in the weeks leading up to 9-11. Um, you've got uh, Zim Navigational, the big Israeli firm, pulling out of the World Trade Center one week before the event. You've got Odigo, the, the Israeli messaging firm, receiving instant messages for no Israeli to be in the World Trade Center just two hours before the attack occurred. Uh, the executive director of the 9-11 Commission was Philip Zelikow, who is a dual Israeli citizen. Why in the world would someone with sworn loyalty to a foreign nation be put in charge of the 9-11 Commission? I'll throw it back to you. I'm sorry. I'm going for going too long here on some of these. No, no, man. You're doing a great job. Uh, you're doing a great job, James. Yeah, well, uh, it's, there's another great book written by, uh, you know, the great investigative journalist Wayne Matson, The Star on the Sword, where he documents, you know, all of the FBI evidence, you know, with the dancing Israelis uh, tied in with the uh, Mossad front, uh, the Urban Moving Systems, I believe is the name of the company. They actually, right. uh, they followed around everywhere these quote unquote, uh, you know, terrorists went, you know, we, we know differently now. Here went this Mossad front. Uh, you know, one of the murals on the side of the van that they owned was an actual mural of the World Trade Center tile, the World Trade Centers getting attacked. They had that on the vans before the 9-11 even happened. And, you know, Trump kept referencing this in his, uh, in, in, in his, uh, excuse me, I'm having a, a, a moment here. He kept referencing, referencing this while he was running. Uh, but, but he, he was mistaken. He kept saying, you know, Palestinians, you know, but it wasn't Palestinians. The dancing Israelis were dressed up as Palestinians. They had, you know, they found the, their garb in their vans when they arrested them. And, you know, they even tried to sue. They even, these, these Mossad agents even tried to sue the United States government, uh, I believe. So, I mean, it's just really ridiculous. You know, a minute ago you brought up the defense budget. You know, and they always tell us, oh, we need more, 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 more. But the problem is, you know, there's been, uh, you know, some great uh, investi investigative reporting that shows there's been between 21 and $29 trillion that has vanished out of the Pentagon since 1998. And, and a good chunk of that was under the dual citizen Israeli, Dov Zakim, you know, that he was the Pentagon comptroller from 2000 to 2004. Uh, and it was almost $5 trillion, I believe, roughly, you know, that vanished underneath his watch. And, you know, $2.3 trillion vanished before the day before 9-11. And, you know, you, you see Donald Rumsfeld comes, you know, on TV September mm -hmm. 10th. I mean, 2000, $2.3 trillion just it just vanished. We don't know where it went. You know, they moved the bookkeepers and budget analysts to that exact location in the Pentagon. Uh, and I know I'm getting in the weeds here, but but they're, they moved the the bookkeepers and budget analysts, I believe it was 188, 189, to that exact location where the planes where the plane hit, you know, <laughs> and, and they reinforced uh, that area as well. And these people, they were going to be able to track the money. You know, this is a, as much money. You know, twenty nine trillion. That's more money than our fake uh, our fake national debt. So it's just, just it, but, but you know, these are these same international forces, man. If you look today, I was listening to a radio show, and I'm, I'm gonna say something. I'm give it back to you, James. I'm getting the weeds. I was listening to a radio show this morning, and we're like, oh yeah, Trump's a nationalist. Well, you know, I've heard Trump say several times that he is a national globalist. I swear, I've heard, I heard him say that last year, and I said, how are you a national globalist? But the people now are short. They, their memories are so short. 
that they don't remember any of these things. And if you really look at all of the, the entities that surround President Trump, they're all dual citizen Israelis with, you know, that have an allegiance to a foreign nation. You know, if you look at APAC and, and Cynthia McKinney, you know, very, very bravely, um, you know, exposed this in 2011, 2012, where mm-hmm. she exposed how you had to take an allegiance to Israel. And if you didn't take an allegiance and put Israel above the United States, then they were going to dry your funding up. You wasn't going to get anything accomplished. And then there, were, there was going to be a well-financed uh, you know, competitor or candidate running against you this following year. So APAC is the most powerful lobby in our nation. You know, and that stands for American Israeli Public Affairs Committee. But people do not have. When I express this to people, you know what they they, they deflect that back on the Muslims. Whether well, you look at all the Muslims Obama had in his cabinet and all this, I so, said, well, you know, you look at who really controls the power. You know, th- these internationalists like to deflect. They like to deflect. You know, I mean, you look at the, the same international forces, they really ran slavery. And me being a Southerner and being, you know, European DNA, they really have deflected a lot of the, the, the slavery issues off of themselves and on to Europeans. I mean, Europeans only have between 2 to 4% of the slaves in America, while uh, some of these, these uh, international Zionists had uh, 45%. So my, my point of that is they deflect everything off of them so that, that there's a shield, there's a layer, you know. So anyway, James, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. Um, well, you brought up Trump, and uh, we should probably mention, um, I'm as pleased as anybody else is with uh, a number of Trump's domestic moves, you know, the uh, reversal of the TPP, the reversal of the transgender orders, the tax cuts, some of them are certainly helping the middle class. And, um, you know, they say that there's been a big increase in tr- human trafficking arrests. You know, my own opinion is, and I, I voted for Trump, by the way. Oh, I, I didn't want Hillary Clinton in there. No. Um, she was everything from, from gun control to population control. She was everything the Rothschilds could dream of. Um, she would have been a disaster for America. But I think what's happening right now is kind of a trade-off. I think that they've decided to prioritize greater Israel and America's foreign policy. And they're willing to take a few back steps on domestic policy to get that done because Americans are so sick of Middle Eastern wars. Hillary Clinton could not have gotten the military to go for her. The military sullied the back of Trump. He had the right sound bites. I certainly uh, was encouraged by them. Uh, Make America great again. But if you look at his actions, um, the bombing of Syria. It's an act of war. 59 cruise missiles on a country. Didn't even wait for the intelligence reports to come in. By the way, it was, sarin, it was sarin gas. You don't dismantle sarin gas by bombing it. That'll spread into the atmosphere and kill more civilians. And the first responders weren't even wearing gloves. You know that's not sarin gas. And people on the ground said it was the rebels. It was chlorine gas from the rebels. It had nothing and, to do. And, and, and yeah. who, who runs the rebels? And who are the rebels? This is this is Daesh and this is this is uh, ISIS and these groups that we fund. That's who the rebels are. Yeah, exactly. Ron Paul has spoken. And this is known even before Trump, of course, that uh, Obama, uh, under Obama, we created ISIS. You know, we wanted this permanent Islamic threat to keep the, these, uh, these drone strikes and bombs going. But Trump has expanded drone strikes. He's expanded the war in Afghanistan. He's made a, a deal with Saudi Arabia worth potentially $350 billion. Now, who's threatening Saudi Arabia? 
Iran has invaded anybody in over two centuries. They don't need $350 billion worth of weapons for offensive purposes. Go ahead. My, my heart, my heart bleeds the Iranians. It bleeds the Syrians because these two nations should be some of our biggest allies in the Middle East. You know, the, the Persians, man, the, these are some very intelligent people with a great civilization. And man, it's just, uh, gosh, dog, the ignorance of this nation uh, towards this country, man, it really, it upset, it, it really does upset me, James. And I really do, man, I, I prayed a lot. For these nations, because the things that we're doing to these are, man, we're going to pay the piper for this, in my opinion. And, and it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be, and let me say this and I'm going to give it back to you. You know, you brought up TPP and I explained this to people that look, TPP is just a part of these trade deals. It's not, it's not like it's the end all be all. So what, what is happening in my estimated opinion is they'll throw us some small things that on surface looks really good. You know, it'll look really good. And yes, it, it is something. It's better than nothing. But, you know, if you wanted to get men, get us out of everything, get us out of NAFTA, get us out of all these trade deals. If you really want to do something, pull us out of the United Nations. Okay, don't just kill the Paris Climate Accord, because guess what? We're still locked into the Sustainable Development Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 plan. That is the overall plan that the Paris Climate Accord is just a, a little tentacle of the overall greater United Nations New World Order uh, uh, plan that which they implement through the planning and zoning departments nation and worldwide. So it's really just some surface things in my, in my uh, estimated opinion. Yeah, uh, I'd be all in favor of getting out of the UN, even though uh, I realize that uh, Nikki Haley has condemned the UN simply over the matter of Jerusalem and Palestine. Um, but you get it out of the UN. The UN is, is a globalist Zionist creation, uh, the, the, uh, as was the League of Nations, which preceded it. Correct. You probably know all the land for the UN was donated by the Rockefellers, $8.5 <laughs> million. That was a lot of money in those days. Yeah. Um, but um, what's going on in the Middle East, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen that video clip of General Wesley Clark. Yes. Interviewed by Amy Goodman, where he says that in 2001, the Pentagon already had a plan to take out Iraq. Iran, Syria, Libya, all these wars we've been going through, these so-called Arab Spring Wars were already in the works in 2001. That means they had to come up with excuses like weapons of mass destruction and sarin gas to get these wars going. They had to make excuses for them. But if you if we want to tie this back to Zionism, which is our yeah. topic tonight, what we're doing is we're destabilizing all the nations that surround Israel for the fulfillment of this of this. Uh, this uh, greater Israel project that the Rothschilds envisioned from the very beginning, what is to be the center, as we were saying before, the center of their world government, the capital of the United Nations, when the world government comes about, will be Jerusalem. This is what's, what's happening with the Jerusalem move, with Kushner, with uh, Trump reinvigorating America for more bombing Yemen, um, extending the Afghanistan war, the Moab, and uh, it's just disgusting. We're supposed to be making, you know, his own tweets during the Obama administration said, stay out of the Middle East, stay out of Syria, make America great again. Well, he's doing some good things domestically, but we've still got the, we just expanded the defense budget to $700 billion, which dwarfs the um, any other countries. It's more than the next eight countries combined. Yeah. Uh, we don't need it. Um, we could fix Social Security, college debt, and a whole lot of things if we weren't. Uh, spending all this money. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not anti-defense if we need it, but we're spending way uh, astronomically more than is justified for wars 
that have not uh, that have been for reasons other than with, 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 with James, the, the money never goes to. They sell it as, oh, the troops need more money, but the troops never get anything. Mm-hmm. They never. I mean, I have more vaccines. Patients. They get vaccines. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. They, they, they get murdered by. I have more troops standing on the corner near my house with a can and a cup, begging. It what pisses me off, man. I, and I get so upset because we could just keep dumping. We could dump a gazillion, trillion, billion, whatever. Make a number up, and it will never be enough. I mean, we have nine hundred plus bases. The next country only has thirty bases roughly, which is, you know, Russia, the the budget is just, it's sickening. And people, you know, they'll play on the ignorance of the people because, you know, they'll wave the flag, you know, they'll have a bunch of propaganda at the NFL games where they're waving the flag and, you know, they'll pay, you know, the the, the Pentagon and DOD will pay to have troops stand up and and all that. So people will get behind it. Well, we got to do it for the troops when the troops never get anything. They never get any damn care from the VA. They never get anything. Man, the only people that get it is the military industrial complex that, gosh, dog, Mm -hmm. that Eisenhower warned us about. And here we are. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, just to uh, pick up what you're saying there, uh, if people don't know it, they should know that the uh, NFL teams are paid money by the Defense Department to have those color guards and those military displays at those games. They're not doing it out of uh, personal patriotism by the teams. They are paid millions of dollars to do that. It's a commercial for the military industrial complex. No, absolutely. It's a commercial. And see, the Aspen Institute, kind of tying this in, I'm getting off the week. The Aspen Institute actually helped run the whole social engineering plans for the kneeling. So the NFL will use this whole Hegelian dialectic of social engineering among the public. They'll have the, the people kneeling, and then they'll have the flag waving, and then it just gets everybody in an uproar, not understanding that the public the whole time is being played. Chris Cluey, a punter for the Minnesota Vikings, you know, he was going and participating in, in, in Aspen Institute's think tank, their, their Aspen uh, Festival of Ideas, before all this kneeling garbage ever even happened. So that's that. kind of just tying it into, you know, how we're being played, you know, as Americans by the whole uh, bread and circus there of the NFL to uh, keep us uh, at bay there. Go ahead. Um, well, anyway, that's kind of the, the big picture. Uh, this the Zionism uh, plan, uh, it's it's to create a center for the world government that uh, World Wars One and Two were, uh, you know, they all tie together, you know. Right. Uh, World War One gave us the League of Nations. World War Two gave us the UN. World War One uh, piggybacked off the newly created Federal Reserve of 1913, and uh, uh, the World Bank and IMF were created by World War Two. The Balfour Declaration was written during World War One. Uh, the State of Israel was created by World War Two. The, the Communist Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, occurred during World War One, and World War Two spread communism over half the globe, Eastern Europe, and um, Asia. And uh, there, uh, if they have a, a third world war, they'll be looking for a world government, Israel as, uh, or Jerusalem as the capital of that, a world currency, and a communist-style police state. In other words, we're watching uh, a continuum of history uh, that's been taking place. It really hasn't changed. No, no, no. And, and it's all, this last, especially this last hundred years plus, man, it's all like you said, it just keeps repeating itself, and it's all tied in. You know, the Bolshevik Revolution, everybody 
the, the, it goes back to the deflection I was saying. You know, the poor, the poor Russians, they get the blame for this. But, you know, they, that was the layer. It was these internationalists who fomented and created and Warburg with his train full of money and his gold and uh, sending, you know, Stalin over there or whatever. And so, you know, they deflected once again in tens and tens and tens of millions of Christians were murdered. And, man, nine out of ten people have never even heard really anything about the real Bolshevik revolution. Uh, you know, I, I bring this up, and, and they, they think I'm, I'm 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 lying. I said no, because you only hear a partic- about a particular uh, you know group from World War II. You never hear about you know uh, any other groups of people, man. So, like you said, it's all tied in together. Uh, you know, it, it's all history just keeps repeating itself, and we're seeing that. And I've been talking a lot lately uh, to people about what's going on with this Kalarji plan that we see that was mm-hmm. a Zionist plan, you know, implemented by this Aust- uh, Austrian uh, Japanese Count, Count Kalarji early in the 20th century. And his foundation is alive and well today, the Kalarji Foundation, and they give awards to these open border type uh, politicians. Ronald Reagan got one in 88 or 87. Angela Merkel, uh, Sarkozy got one. And their plan was to flood European nations with, uh, you know, Middle Eastern and African migrants to really eradicate Europeans. And, you know, Count Kalargi said that he w- Judaism was going to be over all of this. And they was going to uh, run. <laughs> no, go, go ahead, James. Oh, no, you go ahead and finish. No, I, I'm just saying, you know, that, that that's what they say, and we see that today. I mean, I see this plan alive and well. I know I'm kind of getting off subject a little bit, but it's all tied into to Zionism because mm-hmm. right near us in New Orleans, man, in Jefferson Parish, which is the next Paris, the next, you know, county, uh, you know, we have parishes here in Louisiana, um, nothing but Middle Eastern. Uh, migrants are coming in, which, look, I have no problem with Middle Eastern people. That's fine. But, man, you go anywhere, and, man, uh, Native people here to this area, you don't, you're not seeing them anymore. So, I, I mean, I'm seeing this play out in front of my face, and, and I know it's tied all into this, man. It, there's, there's no doubt in my mind, because you look at, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with this group, uh, Israel Aid, James, but they're, they're this like uh, non-NGO doctors organization coming from Israel, and they're going to these Greek islands, and they're actually helping bring the, bring the, the, the refugees from northern Africa and these Middle Eastern nations that they'll, come, they'll swim across, I mean, they'll float across, you know, with their dinghies and their life rafts, and, and these Israeli doctors will walk out knee-deep or waist-deep water, and they'll pull them ashore, and then they'll hand them pamphlets of telling them how to go into Europe, and they'll tell them how to go into Europe, how to get the welfare, how to get free housing, and every, you know, so, you know, there's an Israeli non-governmental organization that's tied into the Muslim migration, and that's just one little piece of it. If you look at who runs the United Nations Migration Department, it's none other than Sutherland, uh, who's a Zionist, and he comes from uh, the World Bank, the IMF, and Goldman Sachs. Um, let me just uh, give a quote to back up what you're saying about the Zionist involvement with this uh, immigration into Europe. Um, this is from... Um, 
Thomas Barnett, who was uh, Jewish and director of the Israeli uh, military consultancy uh, Wikistrat, um, 2004, he said, quote, the ultimate goal is a forcible coordination of all countries of the world that should be achieved by mixing the races with the goal to create a light brown race in Europe. No, this isn't saying it, not me. For that reason, 1.5 million immigrants from the third world shall migrate to Europe every year. The result would be a population with an average IQ of 90 that is so dumb to grasp anything but intelligent enough to work. The European countries would never again be competitors in the struggle for global domination and a multiple millennia old culture would be destroyed. He's talking about Christianity. Irrational people who will fight against this mingling of races and put up any resistance in the, against the global world order should be killed, unquote, Thomas Barnett, um, 2004. <laughs> so uh, I just want to uh, just, va- that's just to validate what uh, you've been saying. Um, see, um, I lost my image of you here, but uh, I, I can't see you because I went over to, um, yeah, something else, but uh, let me just see if I can. Oh, I've got you now. Okay. Um, this first time, I, or second time I've used Zoom <laughs> to connect. Um, so, uh, you know, they had this baby picture of a baby Elon, right, who was washed up on a shore. Actually, was not washed up on the shore. They placed his body there to convince people that there weren't going to be these, these uh, 20, 30-something uh, males coming in. It was just babies and elderly and women coming in. That was not the case. That was propaganda. They did the same thing in World War II. They, they deliberately placed a, a baby. Uh, it was viewed by millions of people. Uh, it was called the Shanghai baby. It was a baby who was killed during an attack on Shanghai. And the baby was alone. Well, the photographer put him there and to, to cry, make this wounded baby cry and then took his picture to, to draw the ire of everyone against Japan, who they're setting up, you know, to, to take the, you know, um, um, the brunt of uh, uh, Zionist wrath during the Second World War, which is another subject. Oh, that's uh, we, 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 won't go, we won't go there. But I'm just saying they use the same propaganda, whether it's incubator babies or Shanghai baby or a baby Elon. They use that sympathy in the major media to get your, your sympathy for mass immigration. But they're really taking out a, a, a plan to take out Christian uh, white civilization in Europe and in preparation for this global domination that they themselves, the Zionists, envision them having. Again, we're talking about specific uh, elitist, specific supremacists. We're not talking about any broad uh, Jewish. Again, my father was Jewish. His biggest concern in life, he died at the age of 99 uh, three years ago. His biggest concern in life was whether or not the Red Sox won the pennant. He had no interest in the Rothschilds or Israel. So I just want to make it clear what we're not generalizing about any people no. here again. Same disclaimer we gave at the beginning. I have, I, have reality. I have Jewish friends, you know, I have mm-hmm. black friends, I have Muslim friends. I grew up with an Iranian. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally, totally with yeah. you. You know. Yeah. When my wife and I were married uh, and my wife is Chinese, by the way, uh, the guy who took the wedding photographs was a Muslim, um, a great guy. Uh, so uh, we're not, we're not uh, talking uh, anything here on our part that is racist, discriminatory. Uh, we're somebody talking about that there are elitists who have these plans for world domination and a with its center in Jerusalem, the holiest city in the world, where Lucifer wants to reign from a temple, proclaiming himself to be God and thumbing himself, uh, thumbing his nose at God uh, as he proclaims himself to be the ruler of the world, a fake Christ and Antichrist. We got about five minutes, James. Um, man, this That's is still a lot. Yeah, this has been this has been a great conversation, man. I really really enjoyed. I always enjoy talking with you because you just you're filled with such 
uh, information and, and you know the conversation's always easy you know I, I don't have to really take a lot of notes and and it's really a it's really good stuff man it's yeah we're not being racist but there is these supremacists which are uh, international uh you know uh, the, the jewish uh, uh jewish bloodline or, or Khazars, if you have you if i if i have they they are racist and they do have a racist plan to you know eradicate Christianity, you know this. this when, when people try to tell me, "Oh, Judeo-Christian," I just want to throw up because it's like oil and water. And if anybody wants to really get to the meat and potatoes of this biblically, man, I really suggest go to Chuck Baldwin's site. Okay, just Google Pastor Chuck Baldwin and really look at his uh, his. He 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 went two years because he used to be a Christian Zionist, and he re- I mean he just shut it all off for a couple of years, and he just got into the Bible hardcore and he started reading scriptures and reading passages. And he put together a great documentary that, that deals with the scripture uh, of what we're saying. James, go ahead, brother. Well, you know, Jesus himself said uh, to the Pharisees, he said, therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. When he spoke about um, the, um, the, uh, you have lost the sight of you again. Cause every time I, uh, um, can you hear me? Yes, okay. Sir, absolutely. Okay, I got you. Okay, I got you now. Uh, again, I'm kind of not used to Zoom. It's okay. Um, uh, when Jesus spoke about the withered, the, the fig tree which withered within a day, he was talking, that was a, a symbol of Israel. Um, the Christian community became the new Israel and the inheritance, inheritor of those blessings. That is nothing against Jewish people, but that is, that is what Jesus said. He predicted the destruction of the temple accurately prophesied that that occurred in 70 AD. He never prophesied its rebuilding. You know, uh, I've uh, learned that Christian denominations have been milled for millions of dollars for the rebuilding of this temple from which the Antichrist, a satanic Antichrist will rule. Uh, so Christians really need to wake up. This is one reason where I wrote my article. Again, it's my website is jamesperloff.com. It's called The War on Christianity Part 2, The Abomination of Christian Zionism. It goes into the whole history of Schofield, uh, the Schofield Reference Bible, Herzl, uh, the Rothschild interest, and how Christians have really had uh, uh, the world pulled over their eyes um, by this deception and have actually given support to their, their own forsworn enemies. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And they're getting us to do all the heavy lifting. They're getting us, they're getting all of our uh, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters to go die, you know, in these wars, in these conflicts. They're using our tax dollars to do it. We pay for a, a huge part of uh, Israel's budget. Um, you know, I just want to say something real quick because I know you brought up several churches earlier, you know, and myself being from Louisiana, so every Catholic uh, state here is that, there still are some uh, Catholic churches that go against Vatican II. Um, that right. that that um, you know uh, pious churches that really understand and know the deal. So they even know that Rome and, and Vatican, the Vatican has really been usurped by some other outside interests. We'll say, and, and they they know the deal with this, this as well. So there, there still are. You know some Christian churches and Catholic, you know Catholic churches, but nothing of the mainstream. You know mainstream uh, Catholics and and a lot of these mainstream even evangelicals, man, they just don't have a clue about this, James. And, and man, I hope, man, God, you, gosh, dog, you're doing a 
God's will, I believe, man. And, and I've seen, you know, and myself included, has really changed the last, the you know, the last year or so from really discussing a lot of false flag stuff and what was going on to really honing in and focusing on like, like this topic a lot because this is a spiritual battle we're in. This is spiritual warfare. And I think Christians, if we want to save ourselves, you know, on this, this planet, at least, you know, keep us from getting obliterated and wiped out in so many fronts that, that, you know, this is the battle and we, this is information warfare. So we must uh, really just, just, you know, keep going at it. And James, I'd like to give it over to you for your final thoughts. Before you do, please go, man, purchase his book, Truth is Alone, Your War- Lonely Warrior. You can find it all over. Go to his website, jamesperloff.com. It's unbelievable. You can find some of his older articles at the, from the New American. Uh, please go uh, read that, that article about Christian Zionism. I will post it on uh, my, my social media site. So, James, go ahead. Final thoughts, brother. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, it's been a great interview. I can't believe we com- uh, got this much information compressed into 40 minutes. We, we covered uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah, people need to wake up. As, as you say, there are uh, Catholics and evangelicals, and actually uh, I recently joined the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. Ah. I found that uh, now I'm becoming more and more traditionalist over time, yes. more and more of a, um, a man with respect for tradition, I found that the Orthodox have still worshipped the way they did in the 4th century. That was the year they came up with the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed and finalized the, the canon of the Bible, and it's that same liturgy, we the same worship service that we use. Um, so I've only been in uh, Orthodox for a little over a year now. Um, well, attending Orthodox for a little over a year, I was baptized, I chrismated in uh, November uh, of 2017. Um, but uh, within uh, people like Bishop Williamson, uh, who's uh, who's a Catholic, or Brother Nathaniel, who's Orthodox, or Matt Furse, Chuck Baldwin, you mentioned him, Tex Mars, there are, there are theologians in all branches of Christianity that are awake, but as you were saying, they're in the minority, they're not in the mainstream. We want to make those views in the mainstream, and I hope that what's said today has appealed enough to people's sense of common sense, logic, and righteousness that they can overcome the big lies that have been planted through repetition of the big line by the mainstream media. No, no, absolutely, James. And I'll say this, and we've got to run, man. This, I believe this conversation we've had is probably, man, it's one of the most powerful conversations you and you and I have, have had. And just the information, I think we're going to do a great job waking up thousands of people with this uh, conversation. And look, you can, you'll be able to, you'll find this, Veterans Truth Network, you'll be able to find it on uh, James Fetzer's uh, website. You'll be able to find it on Battle Nola Radio's YouTube page, Mr. Gary King's YouTube page. Uh, so it's going to be all over the web, Gary King, uh, King at Podbean. So it's going to go to, you know, seven to ten different places. So it's going to be spread out. So uh, Revere Radio, so, man, just, th- you, know, you know, all news networks. So thank you, James. God bless Man, and, and uh, we'll do this real soon, man. And uh, I always enjoy your work, man. Keep it up, brother. God bless you, Nathan. God bless the audience.